Hey guys, Rick here from Fueled by the Outdoors, and I'm here to tell you about Afflictor's Christmas Sale. 15% off site-wide from now until December 27th. That is one hell of a deal if you are looking at trying out the Afflictor Broadhead line. They've got a ton of cool stuff. Personally, I love the K2 Hybrid. Shot a real great deer this year with one, and the trauma that you get from them in the penetration power is just stupid deadly. Their code that they're offering it is Xmas15. That's capital X M A S 15. That's Xmas15. Head on over to afflictorbroadheads.com and pick yourself up some things this Christmas season. You're listening to the Fueled by the Outdoors podcast. If you like what you hear, please be sure to subscribe, tell us what you think in the comment section, and leave us a review. I just hammered a good one. Dropped him. Asher. Never seen that deer before. It's a tough pill to swallow after having that deer at 18 yards. Welcome to Fueled by the Outdoors. I'm your host, Chris Leppert. And tonight, we're going to do something uh, a little different. I had a request. I'm going to apologize ahead of time if you can hear the water going into the cup here. But got to ice the throat down with a little, little ice water here. Been screaming at my TV. Just got, uh, got done watching the Bengals game. So, we had a request today from one of our listeners active member on our Facebook group uh, named Chris Walters. Really cool guy. Came to the expo. Got to meet him and shake his hand, so that was really cool. He wanted us to talk a little bit about what goes into these hunts and sort of kind of touch on the fact that a lot of people don't see the the behind-the-scenes stuff. They look on social media and they see you know, maybe a picture of myself with a, a buck on a kayak or, or Josh with his big Kentucky buck or, um, you know, it, it doesn't even necessarily have to be us. We don't even kill that big a damn deer. Um, but a- anybody, you could look up to them, idolize them. Maybe you don't even like them. I don't know. But um, when you look at these people on social media and see these deer, it's very easy to see the success. You don't always necessarily know what went into it. And uh, I'll use what I think is a really good example, um, my opening day buck that I killed here in Ohio. So, you know, you look at a guy that finds success on the first day of the season and it might pop into your head, oh man, must be nice. You know, you, you went hunting one time You know, you killed on the first sit. Don't get me wrong. It is cool. But I think there's a lot more to it that a lot of people don't really realize and think about. For example, truck scouting alone, I'll bet I have well over a work week in truck scouting. That's just with my truck and driving back and forth, back and forth, back and forth um, with binoculars, spotting scopes, and of course my uh, digiscope 
It's like a, a Nova grade digiscope. You hook it up to your optics and put your phone in there and, um, you can record stuff with your phone. Um, just that alone is, is a week's worth of work. And I'll bet there's more, I'll bet there's more than 40 hours of that. And I, I, I do want to be clear too. That's just the scouting part that does not include the drive to and the drive from, and that makes it a lot more. <laughs> so then if you look at the wear and tear on the truck and the gas money, all that has to come into play. Now, this was public land, so there are no dollars with, you know, corn or anything like that. Um, the other thing that you don't take into account is the in-person scouting trips. In this particular spot, because it's so far and so difficult to get to, I did three scouting trips. That was it. That is each each scouting trip is a day of work. You're not getting around that. A lot of physical effort, hiking, kayaking, hanging cameras, checking cameras. Think about the money you spend on your cameras. Uh, if you have cell cams, which I do, you have a subscription to a service. You have batteries, memory cards, all this stuff that you pay for, right? So, after all that, you're already, you know, really hundreds of dollars and probably, I mean, you're probably looking at close to, I mean, you're looking at basically, we'll say, eight days of pretty intense, you know, well... I wouldn't call truck scouting labor-intensive, but I will say anybody who spent time sitting in a truck or on the ground or wherever for hours on end looking through binos, you, you feel me. If you haven't done it, try it sometime, and you'll really appreciate any person talking about sitting behind glass for hours on end, not for 10 minutes. So, you look at all that, then you look at e-scouting. E-scouting, I'm not the best at it. We've got a guy on our team, Tyler Westel. He's ridiculous. He's like a wizard. Um, I'm fairly good at it, I guess. I've come a long way in the last year, and I've got a lot to learn. But I probably spend, mm, I mean, for the most part, you could say I spend at least an hour a day of my time e-scouting and keep in mind this is you know when you're sitting on the couch laying in bed in the bathroom whatever right so it's not necessarily taking time out of what you'd like to be doing but you could be resting or hanging out with your wife and be present you know with your kids wife etc but instead you're e-scouting very focused and and looking for places that you might find beds looking for pinches looking for places to set up, it, it's never-ending, all right? So that's, that really is a lot of it. And then you look at a private land guy, and I know there's like this stigma. You know, if you hunt public, you're not really into private or vice versa. And um, 
I look at people like, you know, we've got one guy on our in our group, uh, Zach Kaiser. He's a baiter. Um, he uses corn. A lot of thought goes into that, and a lot of time and gas money, and money for corn and all that goes into his hunting. He's extremely efficient and very successful on private land with corn. He has another way that he gets it done, but he's still working hard. And and really, you could say the dude busts his ass, you know, year-round. It's a different way than a guy on public land would, but at the end of the day, still working hard, putting a lot of effort into it. And he's not just hunting for himself. He's putting multiple people on great deer as well as his daughter. Uh, you look at another guy, Derek Craig. He does like micro plots and stuff, and he's hanging stands on private land. Um, who else is there uh, that I know of that's private land? I mean, there's there's tons of people. I mean, you look at people like Don Higgins or um, something like that. They're, I mean, it's 365 days a year planning, farming. They're basically farmers who like to kill deer. Um, so just wanted to kind of touch on that a little bit and talk about the different things that people are doing to kill these deer that you really don't see. You can see the success on social media and kind of get caught up in it. And a lot of people, you know, they want to do a few things. A, they want to justify why you did it and why they didn't. They want to sort of make an excuse, if you will. And I think that it's important, rather than doing that, to maybe message them, call them, text them, whatever. Depends on your relationship with them currently. But I think that rather than thinking of something to make up, I'll give you a perfect example. Um, I've heard that some local people said that I killed my deer over corn on opening day. It's like it's almost 132 inches. It's not even a deer that's worth talking about. Is it cool? Sure. But, you know, and he's, he's a mature deer. Okay. Killed him with a bow, blah, blah, blah. But people tried to say I killed it over corn on private land. I, these are people that I don't even know that I've never even spoken to. So it's always interesting when you hear the stories like that. And I would encourage anybody that, you know, kind of gets that sort of social media, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily want to call it jealousy because if you're not being a D-bag about it, I don't feel like you're jealous. I just feel like, you know, you, you want to do it too. You know, you want to kill, kill nice deer, big deer, whatever it is. Um, maybe your best deer is 100 inches or 120 or your best is 150 and you want a booner. I don't know, but... Um, the best way to go about these things is to message, message these people and ask them honest questions. Um, first things first, I would not ask them any details about where they were. If they're anything like me, they're going to shut down right away and probably not want to talk. Uh, your best bet is to ask advice, you know, how they went about putting together a plan. Um, scouting is huge. I think a lot of people don't understand that, you know, I mean, when you look at it, for example, I killed that deer first sit in Ohio 
And then I think I went, I went five sits in Kentucky. And I did a sit here for doe hunting as well. So you could say I was seven sits in. But technically, I'm six sits into my season trying to kill a buck before I put both an Ohio and a Kentucky buck down. Kentucky was very different. I spent a buttload of time e-scouting. I went and scouted it once. It is extremely far away. It's over three hours away. So you can't just make it there whenever you want. Um, So I went there. I hung a trail camera, only one. That was dumb. Um, I'll have that place covered this year. (laughs) Uh, And and I basically went and found beds and um, different food sources and everything and marked them. And then I came back. I also found a very important scrape, which if you're one of our active listeners, you know. And when I went back, I had all this knowledge And it helped me kill a really nice buck. Now, again, that wasn't a 150-inch deer, but it was a respectable buck taken on Kentucky public land. And it was my first sit there. Um, It was my fifth sit in Kentucky. So I had sat once on private, um, just kind of jacking around with a buddy. He put down a buck, and I killed a doe that evening. Uh, He didn't have any intel on anything really big enough to shoot that for me there. So I wasn't, my intention was to just hang out and have some fun and get to know the farm. Uh, and more than anything, uh, his name is Bruce. I, I love hanging out with the guy. He's always super positive. Um, and he always, you know, he's very helpful. Uh, he's a business guy. So he's really gave me some great advice. Um, so, you know, I count that as a sit. But I I really, you know, if a big buck came by, of course, I'm going to shoot him. But I was set up to kill a doe that night. If you're looking for an affordable technical gear style clothing that performs well, that cuts weight from your clothing, but not from your wallet, check out Huntworth. Whether you're hunting early season in Nebraska, mid-season in Ohio, or late season in Iowa, Huntworth has a system to keep you comfortable and focused on your hunt. With early season fast approaching, we highly recommend checking out the Durham Lightweight Hunting Pants and the Midweight Shelton Hoodie. These items paired with an appropriate base layer will perform at a high level in multiple early season conditions when fishing and hunting. So we've been on the search for a new broadhead this year, and after doing some research and kind of looking around, we found this company called Afflictor Broadheads. We got our hands on some of the heads this summer to test out, and guys, I got to tell you, I believe that this head will be in our quiver this fall. Each and every broadhead is hand-assembled in their Texas facility by people who truly care about your experience. This year, I'll be shooting the K2 Mini and the K2 Hybrid, and I got to tell you, I'm absolutely loving them. They fly great. They're extremely durable. And the penetration is just deadly. I can't express it enough. I also love the practice pin feature these guys came out with. So far, I'm really, really impressed. To learn more for yourself, check them out at afflictorbroadheads.com. When it comes to Kentucky, I I really didn't have 
a lot of knowledge. I hunted another piece of public twice that I didn't run cameras on all year. I ran them the year before and felt, well, I don't really need to, but eh, this place is just tough. It's very pressured. Went to another place that's probably probably the most pressured piece I hunted outside of Nebraska. Um, Nebraska takes the cake, hands down. Never seen pre- You wouldn't see pressure like that at a playoff football game. Um, so I pieced all these things together down there and was able to become successful. But one thing that you know people might not really think about unless you've listened to our podcast, read the story, or whatever, you know, if you just see a picture, profile picture or whatever, um, think, oh, man, guy killed that on public land. Okay, cool. You know, why can't I do that? Or why am I not seeing deer or whatever? One of the things that I've tried to do this year um, is make it hard on myself so that way I know that I'm probably not going to have a lot of competition. Um, not saying that I'm some, t- uh, some kind of tough guy or anything like that, but generally people are lazy. Uh, I spoke with a Kentucky game warden the other day and uh, was telling him this story, and he said something along the lines of if you go 10% farther, you eliminate the other 90% or something along those lines. I'll have to look it up. But uh, essentially, he's right. I mean, you you put terrain, a little bit of distance, but mainly terrain and uh, tough obstacles. Tough obstacles being water, uh, something that might be scary, whether it be a uh, crossing water, climbing up or down mountains, um, clear cuts full of briars, you name it. Put, put something in between you and the rest of the people, um, and, and you're probably going to thin it down. I am 15, that's 1-5, 15 sits in three states. And let's see, uh, two of those are on private. So 13 sits in three states and I've yet to see a human being on public land. I've seen two on private land while I was on public. That's it. So, something to really think about. That's been my theme, is to put a little bit of distance and terrain and uh, tough things in between me and other people, and I felt like that would give me a place that... I can kind of have to myself, if that makes sense. And so far, I've had some absolute bomb hunts. They've been amazing. Um, Not seen people, seen a good amount of deer. I went to Indiana blind, just e-scouting. And I, I saw nine deer on public land. In terrain, you know, I was in flat terrain. I had never, never hunted flat terrain like that. And saw nine deer, five were bucks, um, four were does, and two of those bucks uh, 
they were shooters, what I'd call shooters. So I think it's pretty important to do things like that. Uh, one of the things on that particular hunt in Indiana, if I would have just walked as the crow flew, I'd have been fine, but I didn't have waders. And there's like this stagnant ditch in the middle of this place. Well, it's actually close to the beginning. And I didn't know what to expect. You know, I'd never been there. <laughs> so I come up to this ditch and I'm looking, looking for a, you know, a, a little riffly area with rocks um, to step on where I'm only going to be, you know, eight inches deep or something. There are no rocks. It's all mud. It's stagnant pond mud is what it, I would uh, compare it to. And it's got a pretty good steep bank on each side. So when you get into the middle, trying to walk up the other side is very difficult. I know this because my second time around, I stepped into a lawn and leaf bag thinking, oh, this will keep the water away from my boots and I'll be able to make it to the other side. Well, I made it to the other side. When I came back on my way out, I put a hole in the bag. <laughs> I got stuck and couldn't take long enough steps because my feet being in that bag, I had it pulled up to my chest. And I couldn't take good enough steps to dig into the mud correctly and get my footing. So I just kept sliding right back down to the middle. And yeah, that was fun. It was like uh, 35 degrees and my boots and pants were soaked. Luckily, it was on my way out. Uh, on my first sit there, though, I found a gigantic pin oak that had fallen across that ditch. And keep in mind, the water in the ditch in almost every single spot, if you don't include that you're going to sink probably six or eight inches into the mud, it was muck. Um, it's probably like two and a half, three feet. Uh, in some places, two feet. Most other places around that three-foot mark. So it's, it's up there a decent bit, right? And um, so I find this big pin oak, and I'm straddling it, just scooting across. I don't want to walk across it. Uh, when you get your boots really cold, and you've got that cold tree, one single slip into that water, A, you could severely hurt yourself. You don't know what's down there. And I could not see into the water. The water is black. It is literally the shittiest water I've ever seen. So I don't want to fall into what I don't know. I don't know if there's a rock down there. I don't know if there's sticks sticking up that could impale me. And when I have, you know, 30 or whatever extra pounds on my back, I don't want to slip. I don't want to slip and bust my head on the tree and then drown. So I'm taking all these precautions. I'm scooting across and it took me forever because I'm having to balance and scoot my bow ahead of me. I finally get across this thing. And I had, to, I had to angle way away from my truck. We'll call it south. I went way to the south. And then I come back due north, basically, to get close to the river that I was hunting. Um, so I think I ended up doing like seven and a half miles that day or something. It was something crazy. Um, my walk-in alone was like three and a half or something. 
and then later that day um, I got down and scouted around the woods and then scouted my way in to another spot and if you're a weekly listener you know that I missed a buck like an idiot and now I have like probably three sits left uh, in Indiana I am going to go once to a buddy's who was kind enough to invite me to his farm. Um, I've been trying to kind of get this done on my own. It's part of my stubbornness, I guess, and just wanted to sort of do it for myself. But I also, I mean, at the end of the day, deer hunting is deer hunting, and it's fun. And if I can go hang out with a buddy and visit with him, have dinner or whatever, and, and shoot a deer, I'll be pretty excited anyways. So now, I probably had... Well, an hour or so, two and a half, there's five. Uh, You could probably say I have every bit of 12 to 15 hours just in driving alone in Kentucky with the private land spot and all the public land spots. And then when you talk about the hours of hiking while hunting, I don't even want to try to think about that. And then there's the pack out of my Kentucky buck. So there, there's a lot, you know, kayaking, being scared to death. I mean, there's just so much. I kayaked and I killed that deer. I kayaked across a lake that I couldn't see past the end of my kayak. Like the fog was that bad. But you got to risk it for the biscuit, right? So at the end of the day, if you put in a bunch more work, you're probably going to see better results. But I just wanted to kind of touch on this a little bit and just throw it out there that when you see somebody posting pictures, try not to get caught up in the why not me, Um, another person. I mean, it was tough for me not to be jealous of my own buddy, uh, Josh. I mean, dude goes on his second sit in Kentucky and kills an absolute stud of a deer with his bow on public land. And I helped him pack it out and everything and was pumped for him, don't get me wrong, but I'm like, damn, man, I I want that. So that, along with being pissed off about Nebraska, really helped focus me, I feel like. Um, But with that said, you look at what Josh had put into that, He's got a lot of scouting, a lot of sweating, a lot of briars. I'll give him credit. He handles heat very well. Uh, I don't think he feels anything. Um, And I always make this joke about him not having feelings, but I'm talking about his skin. He goes through those damn briar patches like they're not there. And the whole time, you know, I'm, I'm not happy about going through those briars. So everybody's going through something. I think that's probably a good life lesson. You know, everybody's going through something either, you know, during their tough time or their, their success or whatever. So I think you're always best off, you know, make sure you congratulate people. And at the end of the day, the students are always going to do better than the people who think they're teachers. And I know I'm saying this while I'm preaching on a podcast, but I feel like we all have to talk. And if we could do these podcasts where I could have 50 people and have a conversation, I would do it because I would learn. I love learning. 
Um, Josh loves learning. Pierce loves learning. Like we all love to learn. So I think trying to learn from those people, whether they're a schlep like me or a big time guy like, you know, a, a Jake Bush or Jacob Emery, Andy May, whoever. Um, so in closing, I just want to say keep everything positive with everyone, but more so yourself than anything else. Because at the end of the day, if you're putting in your work and you're doing what you can, you're probably going to find success if you just stick with it. So we've got three sits to go in Indiana. Uh, one of those will more than likely, unless the snow gets me, keeps me from traveling. One of those will be at a buddy's farm, and the others will be on public land. So um, hope everybody had a great weekend, and I hope you guys have a Merry Christmas. And stay safe for the holidays, all right? This has been Fueled by the Outdoors, and I've been your host, Chris Leppert. Thanks so much for joining, guys. Talk to you next time. Hey everybody, this is Kyle Veet, host of the Ozark Podcast, a show where we sit down with outdoorsmen of the Ozark Mountains region to talk all things hunting and fishing. Just like the outdoorsmen who live here, we follow the seasons and interview regional experts on everything from bear hunting, to fishing for smallmouth and trout, and discussing big questions like what happened to all the quail in the southeast. If you're enjoying this show, then I know you'll enjoy the Ozark Podcast. You can listen to the show on all podcasting platforms and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.